0: You would like to borrow a Bible? You know, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you a Bible so you can follow along with us this morning. Because we like to stick to the Bible. If you wanna borrow one, just raise your hand. No big deal. Two weeks from today, we're gonna have some baptisms again. This time, we're not gonna do it inside. We're gonna do it in the cold lake, Michigan, for all you sinful people. So, you haven't been baptized yet? It's time to get baptized. Two weeks from today, in the lake. Come talk to me or Pastor John, follow up on that. Glad you're here on this Mother's Day. Uh, We've been going through the book of Matthew, and we're going to continue to go through the book of Matthew. We spent uh, some time, several months in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at Jesus' authoritative words, and now we're witnessing more of his authoritative deeds. Last week, we saw his power and compassion displayed in healing, and up next, you're going to see a lot of manifestations of his authority over nature and demons and sickness and raising the dead. Now, as we move through all these variety of miracle stories, it's like we're going to have these interludes or these little breaks for discipleship. You see, the Bible is just not about some nice, cool stories, the Bible actually makes demands. Jesus does not have an authoritative message, and he just doesn't show these authoritative deeds. He actually calls for you and I to commit, or at least to make the decision whether we're going to commit to following him or not, and he wants an all-in commitment, and that's what we're going to see today. We're going to take a little break from all the miracles, and I'm going to highlight some of these discipleship interludes, some of these discipleship breaks that are calling for you to commit. So let's look at uh, Matthew chapter 8, and let's stand up and read together. I'll read it. Listen, Matthew 8, we're going to hit th- uh, basically three different interludes today. Matthew 8, I'm going to start in verse 18, and I will just read. Here we go, Matthew eight eighteen. Now, when Jesus saw a a great crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, Teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And then he'll continue with a a storm, healing of the demon-possessed man, the paralytic. Look at chapter 9. Chapter 9, verse 9. Let me keep reading as he calls Matthew. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, Follow me. And he rose and followed him. For I came not to call the righteous, but sinners. Then the disciples of John came to him, saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment, for the patch tears away from the garment." and a worse tear is made. Neither is new wine put into old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst and the wine is spilled and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. You may be seated. Since it is Mother's Day, and we just did this baby dedication up here, I have made the executive decision to take these calls on discipleship and make the connection with parents raising children in the Lord. I never do sermons like this. I I don't know if I've ever come up here and preached a strictly parenting sermon. I know some of the cool churches out there which... That, that, are, that are nice and big and great, and I want to be like them. But they do series on the families and parenting, but I've never had the chance to, to do that. So today, I'm going to give it a shot. Are you all right with that? And, and to don't think, well, man, that just alienates like half your congregation. So for those of you who do not have kids, you do not intend to have kids, you never want to see a kid in your house... This is a message that can still encourage you to encourage those who have kids. And what you're going to find, this is really not really a message about kids. It's kind of a trick. You'll see. And for those of you who are, you know, your college and your, and, your, and your grad age up to, you know, maybe up to 30, I'll tell you what, I think I have underestimated your desire to raise godly kids in the Lord. I really think I've underestimated you. Because when I was your age, my focus was I got to get the girl. I've got to be the godly man, find a godly woman, have a godly marriage. I don't think much about kids. But apparently, a little, little, little studying this week, and I, and I saw this survey that somehow students, those in their 20s, somehow care about raising godly kids, even though they don't have kids. Let me show you this little survey I found. This is a result. Let me put this up from Pew Research. The results from the Pew Research Center show that 52% said that being a good parent is one of the most important things in life, compared with only 30% who said having a successful marriage was important. Well, that's kind of messed up, right? <laughs> You're like, whoa, that's, that's a bad. You want both. You want to have a godly marriage, and you also want to raise kids in the Lord. And I'm just surprised that a lot of you, apparently, maybe I'm wrong, are interested in one day having a godly family. So what's going to happen? We're going to take these discipleship interludes, connect them with raising kids in the Lord, and hopefully it's going to have something to do with every single person in here. All right? So let's jump in. Matthew 8. Look at the very first one. Matthew 8, 18. Let's go. Now, when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side, and the scribe came up and said, teacher, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, hey, foxes have holes. Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. So Jesus is about to get into a boat and leave the crowds behind. And this scribe says, I will follow you wherever you go. Now, scribes are people who could actually read. They could write. They could teach with an emphasis upon interpreting scriptures. And what scribes would do during that time is they would attach themselves to certain rabbis or to certain teachers. And and they, for the most part, got to choose so here comes the scribe, and he's basically saying, Jesus, I pick you. I'm going to attach myself to you. I'm going to follow you around a little bit, and if I like you, I'm yours for life. We're going to be together. This is great. I'll follow you wherever you go. This is going to be awesome. Jesus should be impressed. This is a great catch. I mean, a scribe wants to follow you. I mean, you get got all these lousy fishermen following you, but a f- scribe, this is a big deal. Jesus is not impressed, and he gets to the heart of discipleship. He says, look, foxes have holes, and birds of the air, they have nests. But the Son of Man, well, I'm I'm homeless. Well, the Son of Man is going to one day come with power, sovereign power. But right now, the Son of Man is in humility and weakness, and he has no place to lay his head. As he is a man, Jesus is traveling around from town to town, preaching the kingdom. He has no base, per se, where he's going to come and just have a little vacation or have a house that he's going to live in. No, he's, he doesn't know where he's going, night to night, where he's going to lay his head. And he, so he's telling the scribe, he's saying, look, you may be looking for the comfy cozy institution of study and learning with me as your rabbi but I'm I'm not here to give you anything comfy and cozy in fact you're going to be homeless if you want to follow me so you may think you'll follow me wherever I want to go and wherever I go you'll go hey I'm homeless Jesus is teaching us that as we follow him it's not about comfort as we follow him it's going to actually entail a cost I want to tell you the number one piece of advice about raising children in the Lord. Here, make this connector. This is the number one piece of advice. All right, you can just tune everything else out. Number one piece of advice. Are you ready, parents, future parents? Here we go. You follow Jesus. Okay, I'm done. Should we pray? I mean, come on. What else is there to say? You follow Jesus. And I'm not talking about following him uh, with this comfy, cozy discipleship where you're all comfortable, things are going great. I'm talking about following him wherever he leads. Wherever he goes, you go. Whatever he says, you do. And it may be painful. It may entail suffering. You may have to obey sometimes where you don't want to obey, and you know that as soon as you do, something bad is going to happen. That is the kind of discipleship that Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to an all-in discipleship that is not comfortable, an all-in discipleship that is costly. I'm going to tell you, your kids will likely, not, not all the time, but I would say probably most of the time, your kids are going to follow what you do, not what you say. So you can talk all day long like this scribe about how you're going to make a commitment to Jesus. You're going to follow him wherever you go, oh, wherever he goes. But it's what you do that they're likely going to model their lives after. And so, I mean, we're friends. I know most of you here, and I love you. So I'm not, I'm not trying to mess with you or, or pick on you too much, uh, but I just want to ask some questions, and I just want to see if there are any scribal parents out there. Are there any parents out there that are trying to, uh, not even trying, you actually imitate the scribes? So I'm going to ask you some questions. Don't throw stuff at me, all right? Here's the questions: If you say with your words that you love Jesus... And there's nothing more important than you to have a relationship with Jesus and to pray and to spend time with him and his word because you love him. Do your kids ever see you in prayer or in the word? I'm not talking about no lunchtime prayer. I'm talking about do they see you actually having a relationship with Jesus where you're like you're praying and they just come across and they see, oh, there's dad praying. Oh, there's mom praying. Okay. Another question for you scribble parents out there. Do your kids ever ask you why we go to church? They ever say, well, why why do you go to church? And you say, well, we go to church because we want to learn the word of God, and the the church is crucial for our growth. We show up on Sunday morning, we go to small groups because we want to be accountable, and we think it is so awesome to be in a church, and that may be what you say. But I wonder if your vacations, sports commitments, work commitments, life commitments, just kind of just push all that church stuff aside. You can be talking all you want about how important a church is. What do you do? Are you missing church half, half the Sundays of the year? Do you show up to your small group like half the time? Well, is the church really that important? And is the offering plates being passed around and your kids ask you, why, why, do, why do we give money in the offering? Why do we give? And you say, well, it supports the proclamation of the gospel or, or we give money to missionaries so the gospel can go out and that, that's what you say. But if you're accumulating a lot of debt because you're trying to get more and more stuff, your kids see that. See, I think some of us think, I mean, forgive me for saying this word, but I think some of us think that our kids are stupid. We tell our kids not to say that word, but sometimes we act like they're just stupid. Like they're just going to say, oh, I hear what you're saying and I'm totally ignoring what you're doing. And we just assume that they're stupid. They're not. What kind of Christian life are you communicating to your kids? I don't care what you say. What does your actions communicate? That you are all in or you're looking for the comfy, cozy discipleship, just like the scribe where you're all talk but you're not ready to follow Jesus wherever he goes, and you're not ready to do whatever he says. Your kids see that. What are you communicating? And get this. Both of you don't have to be Christians as a family. Let's just say that you're in a family, and one, one's a, a Christian, and the other's not a Christian. Or let's say one's walking with the Lord, the other spouse is not walking with the Lord. So what? You still do your best to model this all-in discipleship of following Jesus Christ. Your kids will see that, and that will impact them. Well, let's keep going. Let's move on from this scribe. We have this other so-called disciple. Look at it, verse 21 and 22. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me go first and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. Uh, I like this guy. So he wants to follow Jesus but he wants to take care of family obligations first. Maybe his dad just died. He's got to go and bury him. Or maybe his dad's old, and one day his dad's going to die. So, you know, you want to take care of your older parents. You want to care for them and then bury him. And then he wants to get on track with following Christ. And I look at this guy, and I go, man, this guy is awesome. I mean, people don't always care for their family, but this guy is to be commended. He's doing a good thing. He wants to be a good son, and he wants to care for his father. But Jesus just cuts through all that. Once again, Jesus goes at the heart of discipleship. He pretty much says, follow me on the path of life and let all the spiritually dead bury the physically dead. And what he's getting at here, he's like, look, your allegiance should be to me over your family. And you you might be thinking, well, is, is Jesus hating on families here? Because he's telling this guy, no, you step away from your family obligations to follow me. And I don't think he's hating on families because a little bit later, as he interacts with the Pharisees, he'll say, you guys are treating your families terrible. So he calls them to step up and care for their families. But I think that Jesus knows this man's heart. This man's heart is elevating his family over Christ. And that's just not going to fly with Jesus. Jesus says hard words in relationship to our families. Let me put some up for you. This is uh, Matthew ten, thirty-seven through 39. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Get this. Sometimes it is a sin to focus on the family. Sometimes focusing on the family too much is idolatry. And for whatever reasons, I know we've had a lot of family problems within the evangelical church throughout the years, and it's because we've been stinky parents, so we've been stinky husband and wife, and so I think maybe we kind of whoa. Let's kind of overcorrect this way up here. And so what you're having is that you're focusing on the family and Jesus whatever. And so the family would take precedence over Christ. And let me show you what this could look like. God may be leading you to do something very risky. And I think you need to be considerate of your family. You need to talk to them. You need to care for them, keep them in mind. But your family, according to the word, according to what we just read, your family... Is not your free pass to opt out. You know how families always get these uh, season passes to like theme parks? Like, oh, here's my theme park free pass to get in and have fun. But I also have this other free pass and I take it to church. <laughs> and anytime I hear something too hard I don't like, I pull it out. I say, I got a family. I got my free pass. That means I don't have to do it. I got a family. It's the family free pass. And we pull it out a lot. I mean, like, we call you to do hard things. Like, maybe we say, you know what? Some of you need to step up. We're going to move into this difficult neighborhood. Uh, we're going to proclaim the gospel. And you're like, well, where's my family free pass? Oh, I got a family. My free pass says I can't move into difficult neighborhoods. I just can't. Free pass. Family. Like we pull that, that pass out all the time, or like we say, Look, we're trying to be missional, we're trying to love our neighbors. And when you love your neighbors, and when you get all missional and you get in their lives, it gets messy and it gets crazy and it takes time. You're like, Well, I got my free pass, I don't have to do it because I got a family. And then I wonder how many opportunities. Have we missed to serve the Lord? I know serving your family is serving the Lord, but how many opportunities has the Lord been leading you to serve him and you've missed them because you pull out this family-free pass? And what's Jesus saying to this disciple here? Your allegiance must be Christ over your family. It's a hard word, but it's a consistent message that Jesus has. Your allegiance to Christ over your family. Let's keep going on this wonderful Mother's Day. This is great. Let's keep going. Let's go to another discipleship section. Let's go to chapter 9. Look at verse 9. Chapter 9. This one's fun. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth, and he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. So that's, that's, Jesus is calling this sinner, this tax collector. He, in fact, Jesus is making a whole crew of sinners following him. And you know from maybe growing up in church that tax collectors are scoundrels. They're kind of like hired out by the Roman government to go collect taxes from their own people, the Jews, and take a little bit on top in order to pad their kind of more than average lifestyle. So they were they were hated by fellow Jews because they were, were manipulative and just they're just tricksters and they're just bad, sinful people. So Jesus is like, yeah, that's exactly who I want. So he goes and he calls him, and Matthew leaves his lifestyle behind, and he wants to throw his party for all his wicked friends to invite them to Jesus. This is a great Jesus partying with sinners. Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? So Matthew's got this party going on. He's got this tax collectors there. He's got all the sinners there, probably like pimps and and prostitutes and and thieves and gamblers. He's bringing all the crew in. And the Pharisees talk to Jesus' disciples and say, why would your master identify with these people? Because if you identify with these people, then you must be like kind of... Doing this stuff. And Jesus actually developed a bad reputation among some of these religious leaders that he was kind of in cahoots and and doing some of this stuff. And and, and what's interesting is that Jesus hears them, he hears, hears what they're saying, and he responds back in verse 12. Look at verse 12. But he heard it. He said, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice for I came not to call the the righteous but sinners. I love this. He's like I didn't come to call the righteous. I came to call those who are messed up. I came to call the sinners. And these righteous Pharisees, I mean, they're sinful to the core, but they don't re- recognize their sinfulness. They think they're superior righteously, and he's like, "You know what?" I didn't come to call you. I only came to call those who are sick. These religious leaders are like those during the prophet Hosea's day who showed no mercy. They continued with all these temple sacrifices and rituals, but they didn't want to show compassion and mercy. They're the, and they're repeating the same error as their forefathers, but not Jesus. He came to show compassion on those who are sinful, to those who know that they are sinful. In fact, he came to hang out with them as the great physician because if you're a great physician, you actually got to hang out with those who are sick. And as he hangs out with those who are sick, he brings salvation to people like this tax collector, In, in another instance like a prostitute, in another instance like an adulterous woman. You'll see a variety of sinners being saved by the great physician, Jesus. One of the potential dangers of raising kids in a Christian home is they won't feel very much like sinners. I don't know how many of you were raised in a legit Christian home and you knew theologically that you were a sinner, but you didn't really feel that bad. You didn't really feel like a sinner. I mean, you knew that you were technically, but you weren't as bad as all those kids out there. And if you could just kind of stay away from all those kids out there, then you're going to be good because you are a little bit better than them. And so as we interact with our children now who are going to be raised, hopefully, in Christian homes, how do we instill in them that they are in fact a sinner in need of salvation from the great physician? How do you do that? Well, of course, you, you give them the word of God. I mean, you tell them the Bible says you're a sinner. You can do it over and over again. But, but the second thing I think the way you instill it in them is that you model the fact that you're a sinner. Where you, the parent, come along and say, you know what, I'm a sinner. I, look what I've done. I've done this, this, and this. I need forgiveness. Oh, will you forgive me? And the sad thing is many of you, didn't have that model growing up where your parents didn't really admit to doing much wrong. I mean, can you imagine your dad coming up to you and say, You know what, son, I'm really struggling with lust and I, I need your prayers because I really want to overcome this in the gospel? Did you ever hear that growing up? Or your mom coming up to you and saying, You know, I got a lot of problems and instead of dealing with my problems, I escaped to food. It's an idol. You ever hear that growing up? I said, you've not had that modeled. And I think what we need to do as Christian parents, we need to start a new trend, a new trend where we are open with our children that we struggle. We really do. All of us struggle with something's going on and we need to be open and say, look, I'm sinning in this way, I need to repent or forgive me for being so foolish with you that we need to be open. And as we start to model that we're sinners, And our heart is bent towards sin when you communicate to them that their heart is bent towards sin as well. But here's the good news. The same gospel that saves me is the same gospel that can save my kids. And as a parent, would you not agree the most important thing is for our kids to be reconciled to the Father through faith in Jesus Christ? The most important thing for our kids is that none of us want our kids to go to hell. Would you, would you not agree with that? We don't want our kids to go to hell. We want them to know Jesus through repentance and faith. That's the most important thing. We want them to see their sinners and need the great physician. That's the most important thing. But if they never see that they're sinners, they'll never want grace. And this is a great, hopeful passage for all of you who have grown children who are just running away from the Lord those of you who have teenage children who are rebelling against the Lord, Jesus came to save sinners. And your rebelling adult children, hopefully will come to an end of themselves one day and you can say, good news, Jesus came to save sinners. So parents, it's time to be vulnerable and share your junk with your kids. I mean, with discretion, of course, but be open and look and show that you're in need of salvation, you're in need of the gospel as well. And now we have this last section. And so we just come off this context of the feast, and then verse 14. Then the disciples of John came to him saying, Why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? It's interesting that the disciples of John would, like, want to side with the Pharisees and challenging Jesus on their commitment to fast. Apparently, the Pharisees and John's disciples, this was their form of piety, their form of worship. Maybe they fasted twice a week. Look what Jesus' response, verse 15. And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guest mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them? The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast. Jesus is saying, look, you don't fast at weddings. I'm doing two weddings over the next month, and I've not filled out a meal card that says reception meal fast. (laughs) Just don't fast at weddings. You just don't do that. The long-awaited bridegroom, the Messiah, is here, so it's not a time of mourning. It's a time of... Of joy. The Savior's here. I mean, later on when he dies, they can mourn and they can fast when he's crucified. But now it's a time of joy. And then Jesus switches over to these two little mini parables here. And basically he's going to argue that the new ways are here. And the old ways, such as this fasting and mourning, those need to be phased out. Look at verse 16. No one puts a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. For the patch tears away from the garment. And a worse tear is made. I and mean, you don't put in the pre shrunk cloth on material that is already shrunk. I mean, if you do, the new patch, when it shrinks, it'll tear all the old material. You just don't do that. Verse 17 Neither is new wine put in the old wineskins. If it is, the skins burst, and the wine is spilled, and the skins are destroyed. But new wine is put into fresh wineskins, and so both are preserved. You know, new wine, as it's being fermented, They'll burst open these old wine skins that be frail and brittle. And you're like, what is Jesus getting at here? Well, he's saying the old and the new they just don't go together. I mean, Jesus, he shows up on the scene, and yes, there is continuity with the Old Testament and that he fulfills the scriptures, but there's also discontinuity in the sense that the newness is here, the Messiah is here, the Savior is here, and so some of these old ways of functioning like fasting for mourning, not that we don't fast, but fasting for mourning twice a week, those pietistic forms of worship, they've passed off the scene. Now the Savior is here. It's about worship, and it's about joy, and it's about freshness, freshness in the gospel. And I was trying to think about ways to bring the connection to us here, and I want to share something with you from uh, Grant Osborne. He's really helped me to make the jump to today. Let me put this quote up for you. He said, Jesus demanded, this is good, Jesus demanded openness to new ways of worship and Christian living, and the church must at all times be fresh and contemporary. I like that concept of freshness. So I'm, It's it's like we stay rooted in the Word of God, we stay rooted in the Gospel, but we do it in such a way that is fresh in our generation. And I'm just wondering for some of you um, parents out there, even those of you who are going to be future parents, or just those of you who are Christians, I'm just curious, like, is your walk with the Lord something that's exciting and it's fresh? It's rooted in the Word, it's rooted in the Gospel, but there is something about following Jesus where you actually love him and you're opening to what he tells you to do. It's like, I wonder how many of you are still coasting off your parents' faith. I mean, that's good to continue on the faith of our uh, fathers and mothers who followed Christ, but how many of you are still coasting off your parents' faith where there's really no ownership of the gospel for yourself? There's no freshness, there's no liveliness, and as your kids look at your life, they they hear your words, but they don't really see this, I guess, fresh wind, fresh fire of the Holy Spirit, where you're just open to whatever God wants to do by the power of the Holy Spirit in this generation to bring the gospel to these people. Is there this freshness in the gospel, this, this liveliness? I guess you could see it if we kind of look at some trends on different segments of society. For those of you who were in the 70s, perhaps you witnessed uh, some sort of the Jesus movement where people were living in a community together. They were all about gospel proclamation. I mean, some of you experienced that freshness. And in the 80s and the 90s, you know, we had the, the move of God and, and certain forms of worship where Baptists and Presbyterians learned if they can actually lift their hands. You know, there's this movement the Spirit of God and worship. And here we come into the, in the 90s and into this new century, and it seems like there's a movement of God where there's actually an excitement about doctrine mixed with an excitement with compassion kind of going together. And these, each generation, you see this, this kind of passion, excitement, and freshness going on in certain believers' life where it, it turns into a move of God. Is that in your life? Do you feel that in your life? That's excitement about walking with Christ? You want to model that for your kids. You want to root them in the Word, but you want to train them in such a way where they can get excited and they can, they can branch out a bit from you. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if, if our children, if one day they branch out from us and they'll say, Mom and Dad, praise God for the way you did church at EBF, but we love to have three-hour worship services. No more of those short services. And they say, praise God how you met in an open place and you advertised yourself all over the Internet, but we think it's important in this generation to go underground. And praise God for all your complex ways, how you carted us to soccer, you took us to Juana, you did all these great things for us. You had a very complex life, but we've decided we want a life filled with simplicity. So don't be surprised when your kids start to branch off from you and do things different from you. And don't be scared. As long as they're rooted in the Word, just let them go. Let them stay rooted in orthodoxy, but just go crazy for the Lord and their generation, bringing the gospel with freshness. But you need to model that in your home. Model that by rooting yourself in the Word and open to the Spirit of God wherever He leads. Model that now. And I hope what you're seeing, and are you starting to see that when we raise kids, it's really not about the kids at all. I mean, it kind of is, but it's really about your walk with the Lord. So if you're not even married right now, don't even have kids, you can start raising your kids now by the way you walk with Jesus. It's about an all-in discipleship. It's about a discipleship that is is open to the freshness of God. It's about a discipleship that says, you know what? I am sinful. I need the gospel. I want to model that for my kids. And it's about a discipleship that puts allegiance to Jesus over our family. It's about an all-in, all-out discipleship. Now, the reason why, I want to tell you this at the end. The reason why I've emphasized the heart so much today is because your kids, I'm telling you, you can believe it now, maybe you'll believe it when they're in high school, but your kids are going to catch a lot more by the way you live than by your intentional teaching. I remember when my first son was born, Elijah, who was born uh, over 12 years ago in the hospital. I thought, you know what, I've waited my whole life for this moment so I can start finally raising a child in the Lord. If for those of you we just had babies. You know what it's like. Have your first one. You want to raise them in Jesus. So I'm in the hospital with Elijah and my wife. We're all in the same rooms. You know, we just delivered him maybe a couple days later. And I put him all wrapped up on the bed. I've never had a kid before. He's laying on the bed. And I'm like reading him the word. I'm like, come on, boy. Let's get in the word. And I'm like reading it to him and being all intense. And I'm like, and I'm looking at my wife like, I think he gets it. I think he gets it. And I think this is so easy This is easy. This is going to be easy, easy, easy. Just read the Bible to them, teach them. But as the years have gone on, I have five kids now, and I try to still teach them the Bible. And one of the things we do in our house is called family worship, and where we're trying to teach the Bible. And I just want to tell you sometimes it's a mess. I mean, my two older kids, I love you guys. You're great, all right? I'm not talking about you. I'm not talking about you anymore. But when we get there for family worship, I mean, I got one kid messing with a dog. That should be the first rule of family worship. No dogs allowed. Dogs always do stupid things. So somebody's messing with the dog, and I'm trying to make my main point, and then somebody's got to go to the bathroom, or someone's got to get a drink of water. I got my one-year-old. She's just screaming her opinions the whole time, distracting and I, and I think to myself, is there anything being accomplished at all?
1: Did anybody hear anything
0: I just said? And I think, you know what? Those times are important. But I think far more important is, am I walking with Jesus? Are you walking with Jesus throughout the whole week? Not just the set times of family worship or church. Like, are you going to walk with Jesus this afternoon and model that for your kids? Because what we want to do, we want to walk with Christ as close as we can, and you know what's going to happen? This is what's going to happen. We just want grace to spill on out, grace to spill on out, just spill on out all over them. And they're going to see that. They will see it. Let's pray. Lord, I just ask that you would give us um, grace as parents. We are sinners trying to raise sinners, and that is not a good mix all the time. We praise you for the gospel, for forgiveness, for power, to love our children and to raise them in the Lord. And we just pray for the salvation of our children, whether they're little babies or adults. We pray for them to be reconciled to you through Jesus. And that we would just walk with you, Lord that we would walk with you. And if there's any adult in here today, student in here today, just not really walking with Christ and just hoping that everything's just going to magically work out in life, well I just ask that you would bring us to repentance, bring us into a relationship with you, Let us not wait until later to realize how much damage we're actually doing to ourselves and to our kids because we're just all distracted by things of the world or distracted by the philosophies of the world or distracted by the emptiness of the world. Let me not wait for those days where we get the the phone call or, or the email or something just crazy. Lord, I just ask that we walk with you now. And we would just grab a hold of our lives by your grace and just submit it to you. You are our Lord. Jesus, we submit and bow to you. We love you. We will follow you wherever you go. We will do whatever you say. We're all in it because of your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.